the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Interesting research that's out that I suspect if you look at the world around us here in the United States and read the headlines with any frequency, you'd probably see that, uh, yeah, this, this sort of rings true, at least um, spiritually speaking. Um, we take an examination of what's going on within the evangelical church today, and um, George Barna, of course, who's done a wonderful job down through the years documenting trends within uh, the Christian world in general and, and evangelicalism in specific down through the years. Um, more recently, a uh, one of his surveys coming out that demonstrates, and this ought to set all of us back on our heels that identify as evangelicals, that less than five of us um, in a typical church are personally involved with evangelism. And a typical church, by the way, that identifies as evangelical in nature, <laughs> less than 2% of their budget is dedicated to, you guessed it, evangelism. So when you take the evangel out of evangelical or evangelism, what are you left with? And what about the mandate to the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe it's time for some re-examination as to whether or not we are engaged in the kind of reach that we ought to be. My uh, guest here in this segment of the program probably grows weary of being introduced as the gentleman who's the president of the organization that runs the Christian radio station in Quito, Ecuador. But the irony, of course, is that um, given the 80-plus year incredible outreach that this ministry has had uh, through radio and other means, uh, that's probably not a bad thing to be referenced to. He is Wayne Pedersen. He is president of Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB, and he's got a new book of the same title, Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ. And Wayne, great to have you on the program. Well, thanks, Greg. It's a privilege to be on with you on, on uh, this afternoon and uh, share a little bit about what God is doing in extraordinary ways around the world with the whole global shift from uh, the, the real evangelism and missions that has shifted to the global south. And the greatest growth of the Church today is not in Europe and North America, but in places like South America, Asia, and Africa. And it's amazing, too, and maybe a big wake-up call for those of us here in, in the Christian West, whether we're talking about Europe or, or North America, that we kind of think that uh, we're sort of the standard-bearer, the, the paradigm-setter for um, what evangelicalism or evangelism rather ought to look like. And, 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 and certainly while you know we've played a significant role down through the years, God has been doing some exciting things in some exciting ways that are maybe perhaps by— uh, well, by Western standards, a little bit out of the norm, and yet very much within his norm. Well, it was 100 years ago that 90% of the uh, followers of Jesus lived in North America or Europe, and those numbers have almost reversed in the last 100 years, where now about 70% of believers live outside of the North America and Europe. Uh, they're in Africa, where the Church is growing uh, fantastically, in Asia, in Latin America, 
And now many of those countries are sending missionaries back to North America to some of the immigrants that have come into our country from these other countries. And uh, the top mission-sending country in the world is Brazil. The second most uh, mission-sending country is Korea. So we're seeing kind of the reverse flow of missionary activity coming back to this country. And as our country becomes more and more secular and materialistic, we're seeing uh, God working in, in previously unreached places of the world. Let's talk about how that paradigm shift has taken place, and, and most notably, perhaps, what we as the Church in America um, and and the West can learn from it. Uh, I mean, there's always kind of been a, a pattern to the way we have engaged in outreach and evangelism. I think, for example, of, of some of the history of HCJB and kind of taking the, the approach of going into all the world and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ— in the case of this, using radio as a means to most effectively cross those borders and accomplish all of that. And yet today, even as much as we've seen a changing face of what evangelical Christianity looks like around the globe, even the ministry of, um, well, now Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB, that's even changed a bit too, hasn't it? Well, our strategy is much different where uh, we used to be very Ecuador-centric, Quito-centric, and we brought missionaries in from all over the world to go to Quito and then use shortwave broadcasting to send the message to places like uh, Europe, Russia, Africa, Asia. Today, the strategy is much more working with local partners, training indigenous people that know the language and know the culture. Most everything we do at Reach Beyond today is through a local partner. And because they're already there and they can live on $100 a month, which is the average salary, and because they already know the language and the culture, they don't have to go to language school. They don't have to take 10 years to learn the culture. And with the right equipment and the right training, uh, they can reach their peers with the gospel of Christ. Even as we speak, we have a team over in the most populous Muslim country in the world, in Indonesia, and they're training about 28 young media professionals on how to own and run and manage a radio station. And when we leave, those 28 new, newly trained leaders will be uh, reaching their countrymen, and they're seeing those stations are seeing an average of three to five people a day come to Christ at each of their stations. And churches are being planted throughout Indonesia, and former Muslims are leading other Muslims to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, imams are uh, becoming followers of Jesus and teaching about Jesus in the mosque. And it's an amazing thing that is happening as Christianity is spreading rapidly into these former countries that were strongholds for other false religions. Well, and as you indicate, Wayne, I mean, while the message is the same, it is timeless of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his um, substitutionary work on the cross on behalf of my, mankind that we might be reconciled under the Father, um, that that has never changed. But the methodology uh, is changing. And I, and I would wonder what the likes of a Hudson Taylor, uh, who was so uh, responsible in the 1800s for bringing the gospel to China, uh, would think of the indigenous church in China today that is largely all run by nationals. I mean, we know that there are certainly no, uh, no missionary schools there. There are no seminaries there. There are... Uh, at least of, of the ones that are above ground, the legal ones, the three self-church movement is all controlled by the government. And yet here you are with a nation that is largely devoid of much of the way that we do 
quote-unquote church in the West. It's one of the fastest-growing churches on planet Earth, and it's all being done at the hands of nationals. Isn't it interesting, Craig, how, uh, I mean, it's always been true, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and some of the fastest-growing spread of Christianity in the world are are in countries where there is persecution. And uh, one outstanding example is Iran, where uh, 25 years ago they could identify only about 400 believers. And today, and largely through social media, using uh, Skype and texting and Facebook and other means, plus uh, broadcasting the gospel from outside of the country with medium wave, there are hundreds of thousands of Christians, and Iran is the fastest-growing Christian country in the world, percentage-wise. And some of the stand countries where there's heavy persecution, the Church is uh, multiplying in fantastic ways. So persecution doesn't seem to stop the growth of the Church. In fact, it's just the opposite, where there is opposition in places. uh, We're working in a place like Nepal, which uh, six years ago was a Hindu-controlled government, and the Maoists came in and overthrew that government, established a democratic republic. And now we're able to go in and start radio stations and health clinics in a country that was formerly completely closed to the gospel. So these are amazing days we're living in today. And God has given us these amazing media tools, uh, not only radio, but satellite and Internet and social media, with which we can share Christ in some of the most uh, formally closed places of the world. And of course, this all gives an underlying lesson, perhaps, uh, a wake-up call of sorts to the Church in the West um, for ourselves and the enormous amount of missions work that we have to do, uh, not necessarily overseas, while that's certainly um, on the the to-do list, um, more and more so right here at home. I'll never forget years ago uh, running into a group of uh, Christians that uh, were in China, and uh, in the course of conversation, asked them what uh, they felt the Lord had called them to do, and uh, without exception, uh, each and every one of these um, young college-age individuals indicated that they felt God had called them to be missionaries to the United States. Uh, What an amazing turn of events where in the 1800s here, uh, um, the likes of Hudson Taylor were traveling to China, bring the gospel message, and now um, the very fruit of his labor hundred and something years later, now feels burdened to turn around and come to the United States to bring the gospel message here. One of the things that uh, we strive to do at Reach Beyond, and that's kind of the, the whole underlying theory of the book, Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ, is to call the Church of Jesus Christ in North America to a stronger commitment to reach the unreached. Uh, I was involved, uh, as you may know, Uh, Craig, in Christian radio for many, many years in this uh, country, until uh, God called me to this work six years ago, and the verse God used was Romans 15, 20, where Paul said, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where the name of Christ is not known. So in our book, we have what we're calling our mission manifesto, and it's a call to action to ourselves and to the Church in this country Uh, For example, we state, we refuse to stand idly by as people enter eternity without Christ when we can share the good news that transforms them through the media they use. We refuse to watch people for whom Christ died suffer from pain and poverty when we can help restore them in his name. And we say, we refuse to fear the darkness that entraps people 
when common sense is protect yourself and stay in your comfort zone, we put on the armor of God and storm the gates of hell for the sake of the unreached, if that's what's required. Our conversation today with Wayne Peterson, we're talking about um, the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mandate here in the 21st century to go into all the world, and um, how in many respects, while the message clearly remains the same, the methodology is changing. What are some of the lessons that we can learn here at home in America? A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. Get you an update on traffic. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Uh, Wayne Peterson is with us today. He is president of Reach Beyond. You know the ministry uh, commonly as uh, HCJB, located in Quito, Ecuador. Of course, this ministry has been global and impacting the world for Christ for the better part of 80-plus oh, something years now. Wayne has written a new book called Reach Beyond, Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ. And as we were articulating prior to the break, while clearly the message of the gospel, the hope of Christ, remains the same, the methodology of how that message is communicated and delivered has changed uh, quite significantly. And and the interesting thing is we've seen this paradigm shift, uh, Wayne, in the mission field, where now really it's largely the, the tremendous success of nationals uh, that are leading to this almost um, uh, wildfire of of uh, growth of the church in, in many parts of the world, there might be some important lessons that we here in the West can draw from what we're seeing happening in, in places like Central and South America, Asia, China, elsewhere. Well, absolutely. And uh, we are learning from our friends in places like Asia, Africa, and South America. In some ways, they put us to shame with their boldness uh, in parts of North Africa where we work and help deliver programs uh, through uh, satellite. Uh, We have local partners on the ground that work below the radar, and we don't identify them in any way. Often we disguise their voices. But if I were there, I would be praying like mad for protection. You know what they pray for, Craig? They pray for boldness, Mm. not safety. And we're so safety conscious in this country but in that part of the world, they, they just pray, Lord, make us bold in our witness. And they don't take any unnecessary chances. But uh, last year, we had one of our radio uh, producers that uh, was turned into the authorities. They arrested him, put him in jail. Uh, in jail, somebody recognized his voice from the radio broadcast and beat him because he was a follower of Jesus. And through a series of miracles, he was released in a couple of months and returned to his family. Uh, The stories don't always end that way. We know that there are people that are arrested, beaten, and sometimes killed because they follow Jesus. Uh, One of our uh, radio partners in that part of the world was listening to one of our broadcasts uh, on satellite, and his father discovered that he was uh, listening and on the website and said, Son, do you really believe this stuff? And he says, Yes, Father, I do. He didn't deny it. He just said, Yes, I believe it. And he beat his son, threw him out of the house uh, with only what he had on his back. And that young man, uh, going through the streets half-naked at night, uh, no home, no family, there was a light on in a house, and in a country that's less than 1% Christian, knocked at the door and a Christian family took him in and uh, healed his wounds and fed him and clothed him and got him into school Today, this young man is producing programs for us in the Arabic language, 
and reaching his countrymen. I mentioned earlier, uh, we often digitally disguise the voices of those so they won't be recognized. We offered to disguise his voice, and he says, no, I've already been beaten for following Jesus. You can let my voice go out as it is. So th- this is why I think we can learn something. You know, we have social persecution in this country, and we feel we're discriminated against, and that's true. However, in many parts of the world, uh, becoming a follower of Jesus can cost you your family, your job, or even your life. Yeah, ironically, it is more of a picture of what the first century church looked like um, than certainly anything that we've known of recent years. And, and, and maybe perhaps that sense of of purpose that is motivated by uh, results, motivated by a passion for Christ and a desire to serve Him above above all else, um, is exactly what the Lord wants of us in in these uh, these times when uh, there's a better part of what almost two and a half billion people that have yet to hear the gospel message, and we know that while certainly a lot of them lie in that that all-critical 1040 window, uh, growing numbers of them are right here at home, right here as our next-door neighbors in North America, aren't they? Well, and that's the other thing we can learn uh, in this country, because the mission field is now coming to us. And many of the immigrants that are coming to this country, I don't know how you feel about the immigration issue, but many are coming, and they are interested in our culture, Many are coming from Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and finding Christ in this country because they're interested in the culture. Many that are coming are already believers and are starting churches, and they have come to this country to escape persecution or to have a better life and starting churches and reaching other immigrants with the gospel. So uh, I don't think uh, the, the story is over for the United States of America. I think we're going to see a spiritual harvest come here as uh, the rest of the world reaches out to our very materialistic, hedonistic, secular society in this country. Yeah, as you point out, the mission field is literally coming to us, and the amazing thing is that then God can use this as these people influence their friends um, and family members back home, wherever their nation of origin might be, and we see the continuing cycle of the outreach of the gospel. A great book, and if you'd like to get more information about it, um, you can do so by going to reachbeyond.org. That's reachbeyond.org. Take a moment, if you would, Wayne, as our time winds down together, and tell us a bit about the I Refuse campaign. Well, the uh, I referred to that a bit earlier. The I Refuse is our mission manifesto. And if you go to our website, you'll be able to read that manifesto. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight points. And we're looking for 100,000 followers of Jesus that will go online and sign that manifesto. And the I Refuse campaign is we refuse to stand idly by as people enter eternity without Christ when we can share the good news that transform them. We refuse to watch people for whom Christ dies suffer in pain and poverty when we can help restore them in his name. We refuse to fear the darkness that entraps people. We'll put on the armor of God and pray for the unreached uh, so that more may come to know Jesus. And if you want to know more about the I Refuse, this is a call to the Church in America to take a stand, to share the good news with the dark places around the world. And we invite many of your listeners to your show, Craig, that they would go online and sign this manifesto and make that commitment to reach the unreached around the world and even across the street. And again, information available on the web at reachbeyond.org. That's reachbeyond.org. 
Org. Wayne's new book, by the way, of a similar title. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, through Amazon.com, and, of course, through ReachBeyond.org. Wayne Pedersen, president of Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB. Thank you for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. For those who have loved ones currently in the hospital who have perhaps lost a loved one, it raises many of the why God questions. Why does God allow things to happen like this? And when we're in these kinds of times, whether we're talking about the tragedy of what unfolded yesterday in Boston, to the loss of a child, to maybe just the day-to-day challenges that we face in life, oftentimes we we feel as if we're kind of groping about, and we're we're wondering in the middle of the darkness of our experience, how do we find God? Coincidentally, a new title of a book called called Finding God in the Dark, and it's co-written by my next guest, Ted Gluck. Ted, of course, has been on the program previously. We talked to him uh, some months ago regarding his best-selling book, Dallas and the Spitfire. Back again to join us today, and Ted, it's always great to have you on the show. Hey, Craig, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Boy, the timing of our conversation today in the wake of the tragedy of Boston yesterday, again, it just touches on so many levels emotionally and and spiritually. Kind of give me your overall sense, um, particularly in the spirit in which uh, you wrote this book along with Ronnie Martin. Um, We're in these moments, be it the tragedy of yesterday to simply maybe losing a job, losing a loved one. We grapple with the sense of where God, why God? Yeah, we really do. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. These are these are existential questions. You know, these are questions that that strike to the core of our existence, and um, they really strike to the core of how it is that we think about God. And um, you know, as as I prepared for the show tonight, I, I knew you were going to ask me about this, and I was I was talking it over and, and praying about it with my wife, and I was reminded of the verse in First Thessalonians that says. You know, as Christians, we don't grieve like those who have no hope, and you know, but we still grieve. You know, and, and whether you're intimately involved in a situation like this, or or whether you're just kind of observing it from the outside, I mean, you're grieved. And I'm reminded of the the doctrine of total human depravity. You know, the idea that that we're all sinners in this world with sick hearts, and that there's no hope for us, and there's there's nothing good apart from Christ. And I think, you know, what what you take from this events. I mean, you watch the media and you hear things like, you know, we're going to do everything we can. And, you know, there's all kinds of kind of governmental slash military finagling going on. And, and on one hand, you, you root for that and you're, you're hopeful that something will be done. But, you know, as Christians, we know that um, apart from the cross and apart from Christ, you know, there's really, there's not a good answer. You know, there's not a great hopeful thing that, that Obama or anyone else can say to people to really make them feel better. So, you know, I think for us, maybe the takeaway is an opportunity to, to recognize the sin in our own hearts. And, you know, much of my book deals with that, you know, this idea that, you know, it wasn't until I really humbled myself and threw myself at the foot of the cross that I had any joy and any peace in this life. And I think we were reminded that we don't find our joy and peace in circumstances or situations. You know, it, it isn't God's job to, to make everything perfect for us. Um, uh, but he does find us, he does seek us out, and he does give us the opportunity to, to humble ourselves and, and find joy and peace in him. You know, what you say, I know, 
even with my listeners eavesdropping on this conversation right now, we, we, we resonate with what you say. We, we certainly readily give a mental assent to your observations. And yet oftentimes, isn't there that disconnect that we experience, meaning that we understand, for example, if we want to just kind of uh, coldly in a very calculated manner dissect what transpired yesterday, it is, you know, man's depravity, it is separation of God, from God by, by sin, it is our inclination to do wrong and evil and the influence of the enemy in our lives. We understand all of that, and we can certainly in many ways kind of pigeonhole or categorize the pain of yesterday into those categories. We give complete, total mental assent to those realities. And yet there's this disconnect where emotionally, though, we're still saying, but wait a minute, God, I mean, aren't you supposed to come in and kind of, you know, save the day? Uh, We look at this and say, well, you know, of all the people that died yesterday, uh, three all told, why did one of them have to be an eight-year-old boy? And suddenly now we're kind of emotionally uh, and spiritually wrestling with God over these things. Yeah, we are, you know, and I, I, I fully agree. And I think, you know, for those of us who, who grew up Christian or grew up in evangelical homes like I did, I mean, I think I, I spent a lot of years just intellectually assenting to things and not really feeling or experiencing them. And there's this, this strange tension in the Church where, you know, you're, you're clinging to truth, and you have biblical truth, but yet you, you still want to experience things. You want to feel comforted. And, you know, for me, uh, I think the Bible is full of, of, of examples of people who, you know, cling to, cling to Christ and cling to, cling to God in the midst of really horrible things that are happening to them. And on one level, you, you, you don't really maybe find comfort in their stories, but I, I find comfort in the idea that there's a model for how we can cling to the Lord in those times, how we can cry out to the Lord, how, you know, King David, who you know, the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, but, but was also this horrible sinner. You know, he was a, an adulterer and a murderer, and he has the audacity and the, and the courage, really, to ask God for a clean heart. And then he asked God to restore his joy. And this is, you know, when people are pursuing him and, and chasing after him to take his life, you know, he even, he even clings to, to the Lord for joy in that. And, you know, as to how that comforts you know, someone who's who's grappling with the reality of yesterday. I don't know, but I'm but I'm glad it's there, and I'm glad, you know, the Bible gives us a, a model for how we're to do that. And I I found, I mean, my experience has been um, that there's really been no earthly comfort outside of that. And you know, sometimes we can't explain these things away. We can't, um, you know, God doesn't let us know immediately why it's happening. Um, but but that feeling of joy and peace even in the midst of, uh, of life's terrible storms. I mean, that's something that uh, experientially we can, we can look to the Lord and just say thank you. There's and, one thing, though, that tends to kind of complicate this, and after a brief time out, I want to kind of dig deeper. We, we spoke of the, the mental ascent to what we understand to be true from God's perspective, from God's Word. Then there's kind of the emotional struggles that we go, uh, go into where we, we understand intellectually, what's going on, and yet emotionally still there's that sense of disillusionment and fear and doubt and unbelief. The third aspect that kind of complicates this scenario is the big cover-up, and we'll talk about that when we come back after a brief time out. Best-selling author Ted Cluck is with us today, a look at Finding God in the Dark. 
I'm Craig Roberts, back with more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. Get you an update on traffic. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We continue our visit with best-selling author Ted Kluck. He, along with co-author Ronnie Martin, have written a new book called Finding God in the Dark. Now, we talked a bit about that sense of giving mental assent to what we know are the realities of what's going on in these kind of circumstances, Ted, and yet oftentimes uh, being just overwhelmed by emotional senses of, of doubt and fear and disillusionment. But then there's kind of the other third item that I think tends to complicate this, and you talk about it in the book. It's something that we evangelicals in particular seem to be very adept at, and that is um, kind of faking our way through pain. You know, painting on the smile and and getting past the greeter at the door at church on Sunday or, you know, uh, giving the obligatory, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? When, in fact, we're really not. And I'm wondering if sometimes that sets up a barrier that really blocks us from the ability to deal with how we're feeling and kind of find the sort of uh, peace and relief that we seek. Yeah, I think it absolutely does, and I think, you know, I wrote about it in the book. I was absolutely guilty of that for so many years, you know. The issues were different for me in that, you know, our our hard times, our dark places, if you will, were infertility, um, a failed adoption, um, some vocation-related failures that I was experiencing, and instead of, you know, being humbled and clinging to the cross and those things, for a lot of years I just got more bitter, you know, more bitter, more cynical, um, but week after week, day after day, you know, Sunday after Sunday, I would go into church and, and, you know, I was, I was everybody's buddy and, and the back slapping lobby guy with a smile for everybody. But inside I was really dying, you know, and I was really struggling with, you know, how do I love a God who, uh, would put me through this quite frankly was, was my thought process. And, um, it was really tough, you know, and, and thankfully the, the same institution that was hard for me in that, the church. Um, it was tough to go to church, and it was tough to see everybody else, I thought, prospering, you know, while I was kind of circling the drain, I thought. But um, it was that same institution that ended up being, you know, such a help and such a comfort for me as the Holy Spirit uh, pursued me out of that. I guess the irony is that a lot of us are often going through this, whether it's the way in which a whole community suffers, such as in the wake of the Boston bombing, or individual families. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job. As you point out in your case, it was an adoption that right on the cusp of, of everything coming together, um, your uh, your little Ukrainian daughter, who who was literally the the, the sister of, of one of your adopted boys, uh, the, another couple stepped in and the law did what it did uh, thousands of miles away, and that whole adoption process fell apart. That created a great deal of pain in your life, and I guess maybe the issue oftentimes here is when we're going through pain or fear or doubt or disillusionment, uh, we want to keep up a happy face. You know, nobody typically posts on Facebook what a terrible day that they're having or what an awful meal that they had. They we all tend to kind of want to be uh, happy and, and, and sort of, you know, put on the dog, so to speak, and yet behind that mask oftentimes lurks an awful lot of pain. Yeah, that's so right, man. I, I think oftentimes we're our own best press agents and you know from being in christian media and christian entertainment as i am you know there there is this often kind of creepy you know motivation to self-promote and um 
I find I found myself doing a ton of that. You know, uh, again on Facebook, my Facebook persona was, you know, I was this happy, successful guy with a great family, and um, you know, all kinds of success and all kinds of exciting things happening. But you know, for anybody who knew me then, or, or anybody who was close to me then, you know, the opposite was really true. And um, it wasn't until you know I heard some convicting preaching. Um, it wasn't until I you know I went to some friends of mine in the church, uh, a pastor and an elder, and just said, look, I'm, I'm struggling here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really dying here. I'm really bitter, and uh, I need your help. You know, um, thank God, you know, for me that the Holy Spirit pursued me in that way and, uh, and, and kind of led me to do that, because I think even though the circumstances really haven't changed, you know, this book isn't one of those stories where, you know, we pray a couple of times and then we get rich and have a bunch of kids and everything starts going right for us. You know, the the circumstances are the same, essentially, um, but but Christ has given me a lot of joy and a lot of peace in the midst of that, so I'm thankful. What's the big takeaway? Um, as both you and Ronnie have shared a lot of personal pain in this book, what are you hoping to be the big takeaway for readers and for our listeners tonight? Yeah, you know what? I think a couple of things. Number one, we can feel so alone in our churches um, when we do struggle and when we are in dark places, and uh, Ronnie and I hope that this book would kind of be the, the friend that we don't have in churches, you know, the, the person who's willing to be honest about their own struggles and their own sins and their own, you know, dark places. So hopefully it'll be a comfort to people on that level. But um, I think the other takeaway really is just a, a simple presentation of the gospel, you know, that if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and we acknowledge our sinful hearts and our brokenness, that he'll lift us up, you know, and he'll um, he'll redeem us and he'll give us peace and he'll give us you know, the, the clean hearts and the, and the joy of our salvation that David talks about in Psalm 51. And, you know, I think in, in different ways and in different struggles, uh, Ronnie and I have both uh, experienced that. And we wanted to, you know, to write the book as a, really an outpouring of thanks to, uh, to a Lord who would, who would do that for us. You know, a couple of really sinful, screwed-up guys. We have a lot of observers right now who they themselves are asking questions who do not currently have a relationship with the Lord. And I know it's easy sometimes to come up with pat answers, but from a sincere standpoint, as as maybe people out there who are not believers are seeking answers and, and asking the why God questions as well, what, what do you tell these people in, in terms of how they can find God in the dark? I think keep asking and keep seeking. And, um, you know, the, the Holy Spirit will find you. You know, I, I think... You know, we serve a Lord who, who finds us and who pursues us and who loves us enough to, you know, to, to, to come after us at times. And, you know, I think if, if people are asking questions, that's a great sign. You know, I don't, think you, I don't think you get anywhere in this life without asking the hard questions. And, you know, again, you know, there's this, there's this weird tension in the Church where you're just so, sometimes you feel like you're supposed to smile and show up and um, everything will be great for you. But, you know, it really wasn't until... Ronnie and I started started asking those hard questions that um, that we got any peace and um, so I would say keep asking I would say you know search for truth I mean I think we we live in a culture where um, it's very cool and it's very sexy to to be journeying and never arrive anywhere um, it's cool to be a seeker but not a, a a pursuer of truth but I would say you know seek hard after truth in Scripture and uh, and see how the Lord reveals Himself to you. A look at finding God in the dark. Ted Cluck, along with Ronnie Martin, the authors of this new book. 
And the book, by the way, is recently published by, i got to get my cheaters on here, boy, reaching that age, are you, Roberts? Uh, Bethany House Publishers, and you can find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also get it through Ted's website at tedcluck, K-L-U-C-K dot com. And our thanks again to Ted Cluck for visiting with us in this segment of Lifeline. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.